0: This week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables is dedicated to the life and memory of the legendary Fink, Howard Finkel. Hello, and thank you for downloading this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables on the podcast Potables Network. Brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Process Potables. For wrestling updates, news, and comments in live real-time as they're happening, follow us at PowerbombsPPN on Twitter. For news, info on breweries we've worked with, and more, check out ProcessPotables.com on this week's edition we have a lot of content with nothing really valuable to talk about money in the bank is happening still as well as a lot of releases happening that we have yet to discuss and so much more on this week's edition of power bombs and potables welcome to this week's edition of power bombs and potables my name is cory Oates, and i'm here to talk about the things that i had to watch this week with nothing really relevant to talk about uh but we're gonna go through the high points and the low points you really actually can say that we had any of this week in professional wrestling but first what we're gonna do we're gonna start off with this week's quick sips And for this week's episode, I am drinking a wonderful Westville So-Fucking-Sour. Pink Lemonade Sour. Just picked up a four-pack yesterday at their brewery. Always great stuff from our friends at Westville Brewery. So, we started off this week with uh, not too many things. Oh, wait. Yeah. So, on Monday, the state of Florida declared that the WWE is deemed an essential service. The order from the state of Florida reads this, as Director of Division of Emergency Management designated the state coordinating officer per Executive Order 20-52 for the Public Health Emergency COVID-19 in accordance with Executive Order 20-91. I approve the following as additions to the list of essential services for the purpose of that executive order. Number one, employees at services and programs addressing mental health, substance abuse, domestic violence, and other urgent counseling. To the extent those services may be offered within social distancing guidelines. Number two, employees at theme park and entertainment complexes, zoological parks and facilities, and aquarium facilities, all of which are closed to the general public who are necessary for A. Ensuring the health, safety, and security of persons, animals, and property. B. Maintaining the value of inventory. C. Preserving plant, property, and equipment condition. D. Maintaining regulatory compliance. E. Processing payroll and employee benefits. F facilitating the availability of employees working remotely, and G, other activities otherwise necessary to preserve and maintain the facilities. And number three, employees at a professional sports and media production with a national audience including any athletes, entertainers, production team, executive team, media team, and any others necessary to facilitate including services supporting such production only if the location is closed to the general public. Public. Of course, no shock after that, it came out that on Tuesday, Linda McMahon had donated some $18 million to a campaign in Florida. Wow. <laughs> Killer Cross made his debut this past Wednesday night. On NXT, Killer Cross, of course, is going to have to have his name changed because, well, the name Killer is in his name, and not to mention WWE likes to own everything. Killer Cross will now be under the name of Carrion Cross. K for Carrion, K for Cross. Not sure the update on Scarlet Bordeaux's name, but, well, we've only seen Killer Cross technically on the screen so far. In an update to the Chapter 11, bankruptcy of the XFL. The XFL officially shut down and declared Chapter 11 bankruptcy last week. Uh, More details have come up on the situation, courtesy of the Wrestling Observer. WWE Chairman Vince McMahon reportedly talked with the WWE Board of Directors about closing the XFL before the official announcement. Now, people within the XFL, including Commissioner Oliver Luck, weren't made aware of this. The ratings were okay despite some drop-offs. However, Vince McMahon was more concerned about the loss of money and profit due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. This wasn't a huge issue at first, but for the long term, this would mean the company would not be able to continue on. McMahon had sold $379,658,303 worth of WWE stock to fund the XFL last year. The bankruptcy has further damaged his reputation and belief is the losses were greater than anticipated. Vince McMahon loaned Alpha Entertainment, the company that he created to be the one that was apparently the sole owner of the XFL, $7 million to cover the next payroll and another $2 million. on April the 9th. He had agreed to loan another $3.5 million to cover bankruptcy costs. This means that Vince McMahon himself is now a creditor, assuming someone else buys the league and or intellectual property. Oliver Luck is not listed as a creditor even though his contract is for $20 million a year. He was either paid in full or had an opt-out clause in the agreement in case something like this happened. Chances are that Luck would get a prorated amount uh, for the full length of his deal. The $20 million could also be an upper limit number or made up entirely. The bankruptcy filing revealed that the XFL had around 1,200 creditors both assets and liabilities worth between $10 million and $50 million. And when you compare this number to the original XFL, they had $139 million in losses split between the 5% owners of NBC and WWE. We haven't seen much of MJF on AEW TV recently. MJF took to Twitter the other day to state that his condition had worsened and he may have to have surgery. He noted that last week something awful had happened to him and he claims that he will now be taking a break from Twitter. Well, if there's ever a time for this guy to take a break would be right now. Get this guy healthy, get this guy back on TV as soon as he can get in front of a crowd, because this guy is money. On Friday, me, Dan, and Steve got together to discuss the recent WWE uh, roster cuts, and I will quick run down them again for you. The list is Cassius Ono, Tino Sabatelli, Cesar Bononi, Wars Wang, Tay Conti. Kamaroto, Alyssa Marino, Dan Matha, MJ Jenkins, Diona Purrazzo, Alexander Jacksek, Rusev, No Way Jose, Mike Canellis, Maria Canellis, Primo, Epico, Eric Rowan, Sarah Logan, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, EC3, Drake Maverick, Kurt Hawkins, Zach Ryder, Heath Slater, Eric Young, and No Rush. We discussed most of them except for uh Cash who was moved over in the last couple of days. So I expect to see Chris Hero get picked up by somebody because he has always had a way better run in main event roles when he is in other companies. We wish everybody the best of luck in their future endeavors. It was announced on Friday that the WWE has made adjustments to their filming schedule in an effort to increase the level of safety for the performers amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. As you recall, WWE returned to live television shows from the Performance Center this week after the Governor of Florida allowed sports and entertainment properties to resume producing events in the state as long as there are no fans in attendance. Now, however, the company is making another change as to how things will be filmed for the next few months at the WWE Performance Center. We've learned that in an effort to have performers traveling as little as possible, the WWE filming schedule going forward will be as follows. Brawl this Monday night will be airing live as scheduled on the USA Network, along with NXT and Friday Night SmackDown, all to be live as scheduled. Now, Saturday, April the 25th, two episodes of SmackDown will be taped to air May 1st and May 8th, On Monday, April the 27th, two episodes of Raw will be taped, one for that night, and one to air the following week on May 4th. Wednesday, April the 29th, two episodes of NXT will be taped, one for that night, one for May 6th. And then on May 11th, we will get back to one episode of Raw to be taped for that night, and one episode of SmackDown will be taped for May 15th. Tuesday, May 12th, one episode of Raw will be taped for May 18th, and one episode of SmackDown for May 22nd on wednesday may 13th two episodes of nxt will be taped one for that night one to air on may 20th this schedule is virtually the same going all the way to july 1st wednesday night for two episodes of nxt taping so the wwe is planning for the long haul and having their schedule going all the way until mid july at this point in time and finally last but not least On Thursday, WWE confirmed the passing of legendary announcer Howard Finkel, who passed away at the age of 69. Finkel was the employee number one of the WWE. Vince McMahon hired when he first purchased the company from his father, Vince McMahon Sr., back in the 1980s. After serving several years as the head ring announcer, the fink decided that he was going to be moved into an off-camera role and he was a big part of wwe.com in the recent years the fink's health condition got worse and he was put into a nursing home where unfortunately he spent the rest of his life the fink will be remembered for such great announcements as several world title wins of your favorite wrestlers everybody from hulk hogan to bob Backlund to Shawn Michaels, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, and so many. He was a part of the first, I believe, 30 WrestleManias in some way, shape, or fashion. The greatest ring announcer of all time, The think, Howard Finkel. And that's it for this week's Quick Sips on Powerbombs and Potables. And we move on to Monday Night Raw this week as we start off Our week, every week on Monday nights, Drew McIntyre comes out and cuts another babyface promo. I feel that he's been throwing around thank yous way too much. It seems like he's trying too hard to be a babyface, which is crazy to me, being that he came in to NXT, was a super babyface, and then once they brought him to the main roster, he had been a heel ever since. The natural babyface turn happened once he eliminated Lesnar at the Royal Rumble, and every week ever since then... He was more and more, you know, welcomed and acknowledged by this uh, crowd. But ever since WrestleMania, these last couple of weeks, he's just been cutting thank you promos. And it's just too white meat babyface for what they need this guy to be. He needs to be an ass kicker. He's supposed to be their badass guy that took out Lesnar. Stop kissing people's asses and just kick it. Simple as that. He gets interrupted by Zelina Vega and Andrade. Zelina claims that Andrade is the real champion of Raw. They challenged Drew to a match tonight, so we have our main event now set for uh, the end of the night between Drew McIntyre and Andrade. Next up, Asuka, Ruby Riot, in our first Money in the Bank qualifier. Asuka wins with the Asuka Lock. And I'm going to just say this, as the first match of the Money in the Bank qualifying throughout this entire week, there was nothing special about any of these matches. They were quick. They got to the point, and then they moved on, which is crazy to me considering some of the people that are in them. Up next, we have a backstage pre-tape of the MVP Lounge. He announces three Money in the Bank qualifying matches for next week's Raw: Rey Mysterio versus Murphy, Aleister Black versus Austin Theory, and Apollo Cruz versus MVP. Crazy to me, the MVP of all people is going to have a Money in the Bank qualifying match considering all of the releases that happened this week, and this guy somehow still has a job. Wow. Alistair Black versus Oni Lorcan. This match won about five minutes. Very physical match between these two. Black hits the Black Mass for another victory on Raw. I feel it's only a matter of time before they're going to finally go with Aleister Black, but that says to me that maybe... Uh, they're going to go with this Drew babyface thing for a little bit and then maybe turn him because at this point he is uh, pretty much the biggest guy on the Raw roster besides Bobby Lashley. Uh, so if you're going to take out the Lashley factor, Lesnar's already out of the picture for a long time. Maybe it's time to give him a, a run or two, a couple pay-per-views with the title as the babyface, but then turn him heel and then just have him as the monster for everybody to slay. Some food for thought on that one next up we get a becky lynch in-ring promo and courtesy of ww.com here is some of that interview
1: let me clear up some of the confusion as to what happened for you now i told you that this was going to be a test of heart versus skill but actually this was a battle of the mind a lot a lot has been said about me lately a lot has been said about the man lately. Maybe I'm arrogant. Or, maybe I'll let you think that. Maybe this historic title run has gotten to my head. Or, maybe I used it to get to yours. Because the quicker, the quicker you destroyed everyone on your road to WrestleMania, the sillier I became. Now, why do you think that is? Shana, because the only person that can get close enough to the queen to destroy her is the joker, who she sees as posing no threat, and that's why I'm the champ, because somebody who was born to bully everyone will never beat somebody who was born to survive everything, and that brings me to the Money in the Bank Ladder Match. Now I'm here to challenge whoever wants this the most, to climb that ladder, unhook that briefcase, and use that contract to think a name, a time, and a place. And there you will find the man, the champ, waiting for you. Now I always have a plan, but I promise you Whoever wins and thinks they can beat me, I will shock the world one more time.
0: At this point, still have absolutely no clue what the match is gonna be for Becky Lynch coming into the Money in the Bank uh, pay-per-view, per se, but we do know more people who qualified for the actual Money in the Bank match itself. Which brings me to the next thing that I want to talk about. Shayna Baszler versus Sarah Logan in a Money in the Bank qualifying match now Sarah Logan by the end of this this whole match was not much to call home about it ends where Shayna Baszler is dominating the match with ground and pound MMA attacks and then Sarah Logan gets her arm pretty much stomped in on the mat at which point the referees stop the match all right they feel that the injury is too bad for her to continue that's fine at which point Sarah Logan is announced as the winner. And there is such confusion amount amongst the uh, the announcers who clearly know that Shayna Baszler should be announced as the winner. So we go and Shayna ends up just walking out the, the back end of the Performance Center and th- about three times in this whole spiel Tom Phillips and Byron Saxton both make mention that they think that Shayna Baszler should be the winner and that they think it's a, a mistake. Up next we get the first of two backstage promos from Seth Rollins and courtesy of WWE.com here is what he had to say in his first promo of the night. At Wrestlemania I lost to Kevin Owens
2: Once again my career has been crucified
0: So when I first see this, I'm just like, all right, okay, there's got to be more to this somehow, but I didn't know that it was going to follow up with another promo on the same night. That almost, to me, seemed like, all right, we're going to slow build something, and we're going to start really slow turning the wheel. We'll get a second one. We'll play that one in just a little bit. We go in chronological order as we watch the show. By the way, after this point, we come back from break, and they correct the announcement, Telling us that Shayna Baszler was indeed the winner due to Sarah being unable to continue. And Shayna has now qualified for the Money in the Bank along with Asuka for the women's Money in the Bank. Austin Theory versus Akira Tozawa next. This is Austin Theory's best outing so far. Including the NXT match that he had with Tyler Breeze a few weeks back. Before he was called up to the main roster for WrestleMania. Uh, there was a scary spot here. Tozawa wanted to do a running senton from the apron onto the floor. Now he ran from the apron to the corner turnbuckle, and right as he got to the turnbuckle, he he made the the dive. But he tripped over the steps, and thankfully, where they were doing the spot, Austin Theory was there to catch him to break the fall. You know, looked like he an inch or two away, he would have fallen right on his neck, and that could have easily been compromised. So thankfully, the things worked out for that because that could have been a scary moment on live TV. Austin Theory wins this match with the ATL, which is basically a TKO. And as I talked about earlier, here's the second talking point where we get a backstage pre-taped promo with Seth Rollins, courtesy of WWE.com.
2: Everyone needs something to have faith in. I want you to know that I am still here for you. Your Messiah has truly risen.
0: Next up, Angel Garza to Miles. Another quick finish here. And just like the prior match, Andrade and Austin Theory come down after the match to beat down the already defeated Tahuti Miles. Uh, They're really driving home the fact that Zelina's crew could have a clean sweep of victories tonight. I forgot to mention that in that Austin Theory Akira Tozawa match, after Tazawa was defeated, Andrade and Angel Garza came out to beat down on Akira Tozawa afterwards. Uh, so they're really creating this stable here with young talent that is all led by Selena Vega, who is a great talent, great on the microphone, and I'm this is technically only week one of this full spotlight. We'll see where it goes going forward. But it was also here that they reminded us that Andrade injured Drew McIntyre with the Hammerlock DDT to win the NXT title from Drew several years ago. This match, uh, I actually forgot all about, but I love that they're bringing up NXT storylines, and I feel that that's something that they could have always done. There's been several people over the years that that they've brought up from the NXT roster, and they pretty much just forgot and Don't even want to mention the things that they did in NXT. This was tremendous because the fact that I even forgot about this and when this happened, I recall it was apparently an audible that was called in the ring because this match was not supposed to end the way it did. And Andrade went on to have some great pay-per-view matches after that uh, with with Gargano and eventually losing that title to, I believe, Tommaso Ciampa. I, I don't even recall because at this point, it was it was a while ago, but I do remember watching that match. I believe it was the very first WarGames pay-per-view that that took place in that they did with NXT. Carrie Sane versus Nia Jax in another Money in the Bank qualifying match. Now, what a fall from grace Carrie Sane has had in recent months. Now, I knew coming off of her return last week, uh, this wasn't going to fare well for Sane that being the return of Nia Jax. Uh, Jax pretty much ragdolled her all over the ring and dropped her from a gorilla press slam into a Samoan drop that she's calling the Annihilator for the win. Simple as that, and it was uh, not the best outing for Carrie Sane. Now, when you look back at the fact that these last six months, Carrie Sane was injured while they had the, the women's tag team titles, to which when she came back, Uh, Just in time for them to build up the Asuka-Becky match for the Rumble, she had to sit out of that as well. And every time that they've taken pins as a team, it's been Carrie Sane. Fast forward here to now Asuka's still going solo, doing great. She's in the money in the bank. And then you put Carrie Sane here and she's getting crushed. Things aren't looking good for her. Now, I know that there have been talks that she was looking to leave once her contract was up, but she is still currently employed after this past week. And up next, we get Charlotte Flair in the ring, cutting a great promo. And courtesy of WWE.com, here are some of the things that she had to say in this promo.
2: So when the Queen went to make her choice, you didn't see Becky making a challenge. Nope. You didn't see Bailey making a challenge. Nope. You saw the next big thing NXT women's champion Rhea Ripley. Now, now you have the Queen's attention. I mean, that was ballsy. Now I stand here, the two time NXT. Women's champion. Not because I beat Becky again. Not because I beat Bailey for the millionth time. No, no. You know why? It's because I beat the next big thing, making me Charlotte Flair, the queen, the biggest thing. That's why I am standing here, and I am going to remind people that there are levels to this. There's always going to be someone faster. There's always going to be someone stronger. There is always going to be someone better. I'm going to remind NXT of humility. Next in line, Io Shirai. Man, she had an amazing victory. But I'm not here just for victories. I'm here to teach lessons. And lesson number one, everyone bows down to the queen.
0: Quick and to the point, absolutely loved this promo from Charlotte Flair. Now, we only have two things left that I want to talk about on the show, and these are the biggest things that I want to discuss about this show. Next up, the Viking Raiders versus... Cedric Alexander, and Ricochet. The WWE has done a pretty good job of protecting the Viking Raiders. Uh, Remember back how in the 2000s, the WWE tag division was so strong? The Dudley Boys, Edge Christian, the Hardys, the APA, the New Age Outlaws. The reason why those guys are still to this day held in such high regards is because you just remember how good they were and how legendary they were. Well, the reason why they were so memorable and legendary is because they protected these guys they didn't get hot and cold on these guys you know it was it was literally there was always great matches happening somebody of course had to win and lose these matches but it wasn't just a straight let's really feature this team and we'll put this team on ice for a while that wasn't how it worked back then there were so many legendary three-way tag team matches and the reason that we're still talking about these teams today is because of the fact that these teams went out there and they made sure that once they got over, they did everything they could to stay over. Now, obviously, times are different now, and we know that Vince McMahon doesn't like tag teams and all that other bullshit that, that has been spewed out there. But here's what I want to talk about with this. This is the first time that I've seen the Viking Raiders do this much selling in a match for a team that wasn't a main event team. Now, I say that because they dropped the titles... To Seth Rollins and Murphy. In a main event spot on Raw against somebody who is a multi-time WWE champion. I can get selling for that. I could even get selling for Buddy Murphy because he is a part of that. He is already uplifted on his tier of where he is because he's with Seth Rollins. Now, take off the fact that you now have Cedric Alexander and Ricochet. Who the WWE is still claiming is one of the hottest new teams in the WWE, and the reason why they're a team, let's face it, is because they have these guys under contract, and they don't want them to go anywhere, but they don't have anything to do with them. They don't know what to do with them. And it shows so clear every single week when you just get hot and cold on a team. Eventually what'll happen is like what they do with everybody else. These guys will split up. And I can tell you right now, Cedric Alexander will be the one that turns on Ricochet. When that comes is... Well, when they finally decide, all right, well, we're done with this tag team thing. Let's move on from it. And it's just infuriating that you're wasting everyone's time having to not only watch these matches, but you're wasting these guys' time, talent, and ability by making them do this week in and week out. Now, back to the whole issue here at hand. The Viking Raiders had to sell for these two guys, and it really bothered me. Now, now you see, my thing is this. You take Cedric Alexander, you take Ricochet. You put them together, their combined weight is, is less than Ivar, probably. Ivar's a big dude. You know, the, I, the fact that Vince McMahon doesn't like tag teams, but for fuck's sake, there's a believability factor here. And with these two guys, the Viking Raiders, Eric and Ivar, they are two badass sons of bitches, and the fact that they're having to sell for cruiserweights isn't real to me at all. They are badass motherfuckers who have done everything from the IWGP Tag Team Champions to the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions to some crazy NXT Tag Team title matches to even the Raw Tag Team Champions. And they're selling more for two cruiserweights in their third week as a tag team on TV than I've seen them do for most other people. I Hated this. So, I don't care that the Viking Raiders won this match because I was so annoyed with how this match went over. If you don't want to immediately bury your newest team against your returning monster team, here's an idea. Don't fucking put them together. It's simple. I don't get why this is so difficult on a weekly basis for WWE. Okay. all right, let's calm down a little bit. Next up, Drew McIntyre versus Andrade in our main event. Now, this match was not for the WWE Championship. Let's get that out there first. This, for sure, wasn't the masterpiece that we saw from that NXT takeover a few years back that they brought up earlier in the night. Uh, Just some highlights. Andrade worked the left arm of McIntyre. uh, So this way they were telling the story, He, he couldn't hook him. If the the arm was hurt, so good, good storytelling there. Uh, McIntyre took over from there, took an axe handle off the top rope. Uh, Then a couple of back body drops to Andrade. He hits him with one that takes him over the top rope onto Angel Garza and Austin Theory, at which point he hits a Claymore for the win. All right. At this point, Seth Rollins' music hits, and Garza slides in and shot blocks McIntyre. Right at this point, McIntyre slides in the ring and hits a couple of stomps. Uh, So at this point, I guess this is the direction that we're going. Now, I'm a little lost here because uh, with Seth, yes, he's technically the top heel on Raw, with Brock on for the next several months. But correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't this guy just lose at WrestleMania? So his reward is to be the next challenger for the WWE title. And and obviously, let's put it this way, Drew's going to win this match. So what good for Seth, who should be recovering... From the culmination of a six-month feud that he ultimately lost at wrestlemania just one week ago for him to be in this situation now i know times are tough the rosters might be thin and after wednesday they're even thinner but we've had we've had to have had another option here there's there's somebody else that they could have gone and and done something with here even if you want to pull and have andrade win this match and then he gets a title shot at money in the bank I would be more for that than going with Seth Rollins at this point. At least for now, build Seth back up just a little bit more before you knock him back down because that's pretty much what's going to happen here. I, I'm not happy with the fact that they decided to do this as we ended Monday Night Raw. And we move on to Wednesday night. We get another edition of All Elite Wrestling from QT Marshall's studio, Jim Whatever you want to call it, in Georgia. We open the show with another Jake the Snake promo. Go out of your way to find this promo and watch it. Once again, Jake's finally, I think, hitting the stride with learning that he needs to get his guy, the Murder Hawk monster, Lance Archer, over and uh, not necessarily Jake Roberts. Another week of Tony Schiavone and Chris Jericho on commentary, which means that another week that I am not going to hit the fast forward button because these two are great on commentary and I really enjoy what they have been doing these last two weeks. Now, we start off with a great build package to Lance Archer, Colt Cabana. Now, this was a build up package because there's only one match that Colt Cabana's had, maybe two in AEW and only two two matches that Lance Archer's had. What they did here was they basically built this like like a fight. You would watch a UFC fight, a Bellator fight, and a lot of it is highlights of training and highlights of other matches and things that they do and having people talk about them and that's what made it more serious. Gave it a real fight feel. And that was a big theme of this episode of Dynamite this week. So Lance Archer, 6 foot 8 and he's got a, the first thing I notice he's got about a foot almost, it looks like on Colt Cabana, which is more and more tremendous. Lance Archer is the, the big guy of AEW, but the difference is, is he's not a, a great collie or somebody that that's slow moving. This guy can move around the, the ring and thus you're going to get quality matches out of this guy eventually when you need him there he's not a new new face to wrestling either. He's got, I believe, well over 15, maybe close to 20 years under his belt. So when you finally get to that first big feud, which everybody knows is Cody, you know, I think we're going to see a great match between those two. This match wasn't... Ugh, it was not anything to call home about. But as you'd assume, TNT Championship Tournament Lance Archer, Colt Cabana... And Lance Archer gets the win to advance to the semifinals of the TNT title tournament. He will face the winner of this week's match between the natural Dustin Rhodes and super bad Kip Sabian. Now, as I was saying with the theme of this episode of Dynamite, there were several big names that they had from the world of AEW and bellator and mma in general to come on and just give quick hype videos of who they had for this match tonight between moxley and hager names like ariel Hilwani, big name in the mma scene he has since really joined espn to become the voice for them covering the ufc Uh, And he's in there. We have Taz, comedian Rod Funches, Mike Goldberg, former voice of USC, who is now the voice of Bellator, uh, Big John McCarthy, a Bellator fighter, Excalibur, Dan Soder, who is another MMA great, uh, Ortiz, Santana from the Inner Circle, as well as Sammy Guevara and Josh Thompson. All throughout the night, those were sporadically put in there, really helped give it a big fight feel between... Hager and Moxley later on in the main event for the AEW world title in an empty arena match. They have Taz in a very cool spot here. He breaks down different chokeholds that Jake Hager uses and breaks them down with AEW and Bellator footage. So they use the actual tap out fights, the legit Bellator wins, but then also show the AEW ones as well. And they, you know, it's wrestling. So we've, we've, we've got the angles where they're they're, they're pretty snug looking. So uh, this way, you know, you get the feel that this guy's a badass. It gives it a real big fight feel. Excellent job that they did on this uh, package here. Up next, Cassandra Golden versus Britt Baker. Britt Baker in a squash match. It's refreshing. It's a shame that it took her this long to uh, get some relevance from AEW. And all it had to do was for her to get her nose broken. For, uh, for them to go with her. She does legit have a broken nose, and she will need surgery for it, but obviously right now she can't have surgery done due to the current uh, state of the world, so uh, I'm sure she'll eventually get that taken care of. Uh, but Britt Baker wins this match, and hopefully they're going to continue to finally go with her. I guess I don't know what the issue was before with them feeling that they needed her to connect, but she's connecting now and doing a great job as a heel. So, uh, next up we have Sammy Guevara versus Pineapple Pete. Well, that's just what Chris Jericho has been calling him. And, uh, I like that a lot better than, uh, what his real name is. So I didn't even note what his real name is in this rundown. Sammy looked great here against a guy who's bigger than he is. Let's be real. The Pineapple Pete is a taller guy. He's a thicker guy. And Sammy Guevara is... You know he's pretty lean, this guy. But he did this match as a squash match. It was very interesting to see, but I loved it. After the match, Sammy gets on the microphone and he cuts a promo, and then he drops it and then continues to beat this guy up. Absolutely loved it. I talked about it last week, how Jericho reminding me of Bobby Heenan on uh, the commentary, and it never felt more true than during this match. Well, as he was cheering Sammy on, you remember Bobby Heenan used to always sit there when his guys were in the ring, whether it be Mr. Perfect, Ric Flair, Rick Rude. if there was a time where he wasn't at ringside and he was on the commentary, he was literally the number one cheerleader. And it was tremendous with this week's broadcast of AEW as well. Next up, Superbad, Kip Sabian versus Chuck Taylor. If you're looking... For this week's match with two guys who have never done anything to impress me, you've found it. This match was no exception to that statement. The only reason that I watched this match was for Jericho's commentary and to watch the absolutely wonderful Penelope Ford. Up next, Sean Spears versus Jake Law. So if you recall, last week, Sean Spears threw out essentially a pay-per-view match versus Cody. He threw Cody through a guardrail. He threw him through a table from the inside of the ring to the floor and still couldn't beat him. So naturally, the follow-up to that was them having Sean Spears defeat Billy Gunn on AEW Dark Tuesday night, and on Wednesday, in a squash match, Sean Spears defeats Jake Law. Seems like the pattern was for this week is if you lost on TV last week, you're going to get a squash match this week to make up for last week's loss. Really, kind of got my head scratching on that matter. But I've said for a long time, a lot of people loved Ty Dillinger. He really connected as Ty Dillinger in NXT. And before he was able to really do anything further than be a great opening match on NXT, they brought him to the main roster and he pretty much just died a horrible death there. Bring him in AEW was a chance for him to kind of renew himself. Uh, The whole chairman gimmick, I I don't like. Now, I can't even blame any of this on the, the pandemic that we have going on right now. Because he has been with Tully Blanchard since last June. And Tully Blanchard is a great Mike guy. And at this point in his career, makes a great manager for a young guy like Sean Spears. And the fact that they've pretty much limited him to AEW dark matches and vignettes of him trying to find people on Twitter for Sean Spears' tag team partner, I I don't know. It's 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 garbage. It's 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 garbage each week. And now you 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 give him a wimp's of hope almost. You know you put him in this AEW title tournament. I felt that they could have at least gotten him to um, another round after he got that win in the main event the other week in the tag match with Sammy is against Darby and Cody Rhodes. And and here we are two weeks later. So we'll see what happens with Sean Spears in the coming weeks. Next up is our main event. The buildup that we have had for the last two weeks, John Moxley undefeated in all elite wrestling versus Jake Hager undefeated in all elite wrestling undefeated, legit MMA in Bellator. For the AEW world title. Now this was filmed a couple weeks ago at Daly's Place in Jacksonville. Empty Arena. And Jim Ross on the call by himself. Now this is Moxley's first title defense since winning the title from Jericho. Back on February the 29th at Revolution. I thought he actually had a defense or two on TV. They reminded me that this was indeed his first title defense. Which is kind of crazy that we are now uh, two months almost removed from that. This match started out with a lot of mat wrestling, which was kind of cool uh, due to the fact that Jake Hager is a, you know, legit collegiate wrestler, and an MMA fighter, and Moxie was doing the takedowns on Hager, so it was kind of cool. I, I, I dug where they were going with the beginning because Hager would have been caught off guard by that. They end up brawling into the crowd uh, area of Daly's place. Mox put a figure four on Hager using the aisle banister, so imagine the... Figure four on the ring post, but using an aisle banister that comes down in any stadium arena. It was an interesting spot, but you can only do so much with it. Jake finally gets uh, a chokehold when they're back in the ring. Moxley gets the ropes within about 20 seconds. Okay, so we built this chokehold up earlier with Taz, and he builds it, and he gets right to the rope. All right, I guess he didn't have it on all the way. At this point, Jake gets an ankle lock on. Mox reverses and throws him out of the ring. Hager charges into the ring, Moxley hits the paradigm shift into a choke, which was kind of an interesting, kind of a front lock chokehold. and Hager gets out of that. All right, so now we both tried chokeholds. At this point, Moxley gets a chair, throws it at Hager's face, then hits a paradigm shift on the chair for the win. So there you have it. Jake Hager gets his first loss in AEW, and it's clean, so you threw away a lot in my opinion, on his first loss. Now, I agree. If you're going to give him his first loss at this point, make it clean. Because if this were the WWE, we would have found six ways from Sunday to try and find a way to throw this match out and have a lot of smoke and mirrors so that it's not as tarnished as it is. This is as clear as it could be. Jake Hager lost. And I feel that this could have been a match that you could have saved for a pay-per-view. Wait. Wait until even the the, the double or nothing, double or nothing still happening. It may have been canceled in Las Vegas on Memorial Day weekend, but it's still happening. Do it for the pay-per-view at least. Give them more time. Uh, This match needed the crowd, even if it was the six guys around the ringside that they've been doing in there. That makes all the difference. This match really hurt on top of the fact that it wasn't good. It hurt not having a crowd there. Jim Ross, I love JR. Absolutely love him. But this match, he needed he needed somebody with on the color because his color commentary is nothing but things that make sense to Jim Ross. Oh, well why are there chairs when there's nobody here? Well because it's a fucking arena. It's an arena. So why wouldn't there be chairs there? Why are we talking about this? Absolute garbage. So we move on to NXT Wednesday night. Right after AEW, I always then flip to the DVR to watch NXT. AEW has had priority to me ever since it went on the air. We start off NXT with Finn Balor, which is nice to see this guy. Uh, I feel that his whereabouts were kind of unknown uh, being right now as the quarantine began. He went over to the UK. They announced the, the, the shutdown, I believe, on a Wednesday night. Well, that's pretty much it was a Wednesday night around 1030 when they Cancelled the NBA season or put it on, or they postponed it. Uh, The next day, that Thursday, was the day that they put the Major League Baseball on hiatus for the time being. And then soon, soon thereafter was when they did the the travel ban. But I believe the UK was still okay. So he went over there and did some spots for NXT UK. Uh, But we haven't seen him on NXT since. Now he's going to be wrestling Fabian Eichner from NXT's UK's Imperium which has been the feud that he's had over there. Simple match. Most of this match was Balor dealing with the two-on-one effect from the, the members of uh, Imperium that were there. Finn hits the, the coup de gras, and then a 1916 DDT for the win. Simple as that. Um, not much really great to talk about on this show. Raquel Gonzalez versus Tegan Knox. Now, I have been super critical of Raquel Gonzalez on this program every single week. This match was horrible and pointless, if you ask me. Raquel Gonzalez dominated most of this match on Tegan Knox. Even Dakota Kai got a kick in on Knox at 1.2, which wasn't even necessary. Uh, The finish came when Shotzi Blackheart came out and took out Dakota Kai, which then distracted Raquel Gonzalez, and then Tegan Knox just rolled up Gonzalez for the win. I don't see how this match helps anyone. I don't even see why it was necessary on this match. I don't even see why this match was necessary in the first place. But I'm going to continue and move on. Next up, we have Dexter Loomis versus Tahuti Miles, which you remember two nights ago on Monday Night Raw, I was just discussing it, was destroyed by Angel Garza. Now, two nights later, he is back here, gets a full entrance, mind you. I still don't know who he is. To Hootie Miles, he hits a couple of drop kicks that don't even take Loomis off of his feet. Loomis then hits a great, great spine buster. Double A style, really spine to the pine on that one, and then wins with the Anaconda Vice. Interesting move, being that they want nothing to do with CM Punk, and everybody's going to probably register that that move with, with, with Punk, but I feel for the... The character that is Dexter Loomis, the Anaconda Vice, a chokeout, is, is a really cool touch. I like that, that, that move being with him. Next up, Adam Cole's cutting a promo in another pre-taped promo, stating that nobody deserves an NXT title shot, which then prompts a Velveteen Dream promo. He comes out to the stage and cuts a promo at a podium. All right, He talks about how Adam Cole is the greatest NXT champion of all time, which now causes Finn Balor to come out. Tell him that he is the greatest NXT champion of all time. And if he keeps saying otherwise, then he's going to have a date with the prince and walks off, at which point Dream names next week and tells Finn to be a gentleman and pick him up for the date. I'm guessing what's happening here. The only thing that's obvious to me is that Adam Cole is either refusing to come to work due to COVID-19 or he's legit injured and they're just letting him heal up during this time when they don't really need to necessarily use him. So they're just going to pivot from now and set up a match with Dream and Balor. But that makes no sense to me when we know that there's an Imperium Finn Balor feud going. And you've already had Imperium people on this show. It's a whole mess to me. I don't really like the fact that they're going to try and go with the the two storyline thing. It seems a little too much for them to handle. Next up, Roderick Strong, Bobby Fish undisputed era versus matt riddle and a mystery partner chosen by pete dunn they're doing a great job explaining that hey pete dunn he cannot get over here from europe so he has sent timothy thatcher making his nxt debut finally and i want to say right out of the the, the, the gate here great job by tom phillips on the call here Right as Timothy Thatcher's coming out. Now, nobody's seen this guy. He looks like a brute, like a rugged guy, no knee pads, tights, grizzly beard, and this guy just looks like a brawler. He comes out, and Tom Phillips instantly puts him over as the meanest son of a bitch you'll ever see. Right away, from someone who's never seen a Timothy Thatcher match but only heard of him, I'm intrigued. I want to see what this guy's going to do. Now, Matt Riddle spent most of the time in this match in the ring. Uh, we did see uh, you know, some of Thatcher. The stuff that we did see of him was really snug, which is perfect. It goes along with what they're saying. He's a mean-looking son of a bitch, and he's there to fight and get, get the job done. Uh, there was a spot where Riddle was doing some rolling uh, series of gut wrench suplexes. And then Thatcher comes in and grabs, I believe it was Bobby Fish at this point. And then they hit uh, stereo gut wrench suplexes at the same time on both members of Undisputed Era. That was pretty cool. Uh, they pan out at this point and this felt like it had no purpose being here. Dexter Loomis is standing in the background just by himself. Now it's a weird spot because it's not like he's standing on the stage like they do with most people and watching on. They're filming this, and I'm trying to paint this picture for you. We're filming from the ringside facing the screen, all right? Off to the right side, on the floor where the crowd would normally be, is Dexter Loomis just standing there with a can light just over top of him. Almost like the dude's possessed. Now, we know that he's got this weird look, and. That, him standing there looking all possessed and fucked up, that makes sense to me. But him here in this spot, in this tag match, is what makes no sense to me. Because they mention it, and he's there, and then he's gone, and then they don't mention that he's gone either. So the placement just really seemed pointless to me. I didn't like it at all. And obviously, it goes with everything that I've said before. It's obviously faked and planned when some guy's standing here and there's a yellow light right above him. You know, for, for this being the wrestling program and the less sports entertainment program, that was a little more entertainment than sports for, for my liking. In the end of the match here, Timothy Thatcher gets the win by tapping out Roderick Strong with a Fujiwara armbar. And uh, this is the best Undisputed Era match since we've started the quarantine. I think i mentioned that. Uh, I believe Roderick Strong had a match against Velveteen Dream And there was a Bobby Fish match, uh, and maybe even a Kyle O'Reilly match. There's been every week so far on this program. I've had nothing but really crappy things to say about these Undisputed Era matches. This one was a good one, and uh, I'm happy that it it was worth my time watching. We end the show with a pre-taped Tommaso Ciampa backstage promo. Remember, before his match with... Johnny Gargano last week that was supposed to be the last time ever match between the two. He said that if he could not beat Johnny Gargano, that he would admit that Johnny Gargano was the better man. So we're in the back. Ciampa is claiming that Johnny Gargano is indeed the better man, at which point you see two arms grab around the body, the torso of Tommaso Champa. I'm just rip him backwards. At this point, naturally the camera that's fallen, it's probably someone's iPhone, falls to the ground. And the next after about five, ten seconds, we see Tommaso Champa's head right in front of the camera fall to the ground. We see boots that you would assume are of a woman's due to the platform of them. And we see the emergence of Killer Cross. So we'll assume that those boots are that of the lovely Scarlet Bordeaux as we fade to black on this week's edition of NXT. Now I'm happy that Cross isn't the baby face in this situation. If you recall last week's episode, it almost seemed as if Cross was scoping out Johnny Gargano, which we were both like, no, absolutely not. We do not want Johnny Gargano already turning after how this match ended with Champa to end this show. And Killer Cross is just not a likable dude. So why would you ever make him The baby face. Uh, So not a great edition of NXT. The only real standout thing of this was that tag team title match. Now on to Friday night SmackDown. Not really a lot of great stuff on here. We open with a moment of bliss. Braun Strowman's on here. After about three minutes of him bickering back and forth with Alexa and Nikki. A package shows up in the ring. And he opens it. And it's his old black uh, Wyatt family mask. So Cool moment there, because now this is what this whole feud is built upon. It's built upon the history of him being in the Wyatt family and leaving. I'm still okay with it so far. The match is probably going to be absolutely horrible. First up, Sasha Banks versus Tamina. Now, last week, I did say the obvious thing here is that Tamina is going to win. But based off of what happened at WrestleMania, I'm thinking that there's a good chance that maybe Sasha could win this match and then once again save her friend Bayley which eventually would all build up to a scenario where eventually Sasha or Bailey turns on one another. Which, again, I don't want to see either thing happen, but it's the inevitable way that they're, they're going with this. Remember, if Tamina wins this match, she gets a SmackDown women's title match at Bailey at Money in the Bank. This match was not good, and I'll just keep it at that. Lacey Evans comes out to stop Bailey from interfering, which she wasn't even at the point of interfering, and then Tamina defeated Sasha. Garbage throwaway match here. Dana Brooke versus Naomi in a Money in the Bank qualifying match. Dana Brooke wins with a roll-up. Nothing else to say about that. Up next, Mandy and Sonia are in the ring for a confrontation together. This was... This was bad. It almost teased that it was going to get to be the, the lesbian angle, but you thought that they were pitching for each other Months ago that ended up going to Lana and Liv Morgan. However, this just goes into Sonia saying that Mandy is the most selfish, selfish bitch that she's ever met in her life, which then she says that Ziggler has feelings for Mandy. Ziggler hits the ring sporting a Zack Ryder, Kurt Hawkins t-shirt, his buddies that were let go two days prior. I thought that that was an awesome touch. Uh, wearing the never-defeated Hawkins and Ryder shirt, me being a a Ryder and Hawkins fan. And we go into detail about the releases on our bonus pod that we put out this past Saturday, recorded Friday night, uh, in the podcast Paradise with Dan and Steve that is available right now in this feed. So if you haven't had a chance to do that, go listen to that. We talk about that and the great Howard Finkel. So I'm already over this story. Between Mandy, Sonya, Otis, and Ziggler, you know they always say that the chase is the most exciting part when you know being interested in someone. And we got the payoff with the chase. Otis and Mandy are now together. So now what? We don't see them coming to the ring together. There's nothing happy. There's nothing like that. Literally, the first thing that that we see is this in-ring confrontation between. Mandy and Sonya, which is what this is all about. And essentially it ends up being a giant brawl, Otis hits the ring and eventually hits the caterpillar and clears of Dolph. This is essentially one storyline that really got hurt because they needed a crowd for it. I feel you need a crowd for wrestling in general, but this one was built off of crowd emotion and it spent the last month the the real payoff of the storyline did not pay off in front of a crowd. So, you know, it It could have been something maybe, but nothing to really call home about. Up next, uh, Cesaro versus Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan wins with a, with a yes lock and has qualified for the Money in the Bank. Simple as that. Once, like I said earlier, these matches for the Money in the Bank qualifying were not good this week. And it's uh, it's sad because the people in these matches are great talent. But something just was not clicking with any of these matches. So here's the first thing that I actually enjoyed on this entire show, besides the Howard Finkel tribute that they did, uh, as he passed away on Thursday, this aired on Friday, King Corbin attacks Elias backstage. Now, the thing that I liked about this is that Corbin took specific attention to take out the hand of Elias. Elias is the musician. Elias plays guitar, and you can't play guitar with an injured hand. I like the attention to detail there. He ends the beatdown by breaking a guitar over the back of Elias, and that's it. Bravo. Minute and a half done well. It's a shame to say that I had to watch two hours to get a minute and a half of entertainment. In our main event, Miz defending the tag team titles, the SmackDown tag team titles, against Jey Uso and Big E in a triple threat match. This match went about nine minutes. There was nothing special about this match at all. Big E hit the big ending on The Miz, and The New Day gets the tag titles for the eighth time. So, let's recap. At WrestleMania, the tag team titles were defended successfully in a triple threat ladder match. Tag team titles. Now that everybody's back, we're going to have another triple threat match for the tag team titles. And you're going to change the titles. The only thing that I want to see come out of this is John Morrison finally getting the character change that he needs. That he should have had. Because the John Morrison character is outdated. Not saying that Johnny Nitro, Johnny Impact, Johnny Mundo, Johnny Intro whatever last name... Uh, he's going to have is different from john morrison but the whole getup of the slow moving screen and him being a jim morrison ripoff that just needs to go so you can update all of that stuff all right so that is all we have to really talk about on this week's edition of uh, power bombs and potables make sure to follow us on twitter at PowerBombs ppn i was doing live Uh, Updates on these releases all week, and I try and give live comments during the shows as they're happening each week. If not, I will comment as I get a chance to watch them. Remember to rate, like, and review, and all that other fun stuff that you get with these podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you may listen. Favorite podcasts. Uh, Don't forget next week, Triple H's 25th anniversary celebration on SmackDown. Uh, I can't wait. Talk to you next week on another edition of Power Bombs and Potable.